Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome back to the Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. Another week, another Scotland loss, and we are back in that familiar position, going to Italy in search of a win to salvage a campaign. David, Alan and Matt, back with you. Three weeks gone in the Six Nations um, and an awful lot of soul searching going on um, at Thistle HQ. Matt, how are you feeling, big guy? Yeah, well, I was I was on a flight for the match, so I missed it and sort of put on my, my data, etc. And I wasn't exactly expecting a lot, but to see that scoreline at home was was a bit of a blow, to be honest. Um, and then sort of reading everyone's WhatsApps, digesting the match, it sounded as if it was a pretty tough watch. Um, so, yeah, not not the best way to, to end a holiday, really. Yeah, we'll obviously go into an awful lot of detail in the game. In parts of it, it was an okay watch, though. There's certainly bits where you thought Scotland were on on top. Alan, you and I were sort of texting each other quite a lot during the game. A sort of frustrating Saturday afternoon for you? Yeah, I'm I'm normally relatively restrained, but I I found myself actually shouting quite a lot at the television, (laughs) um, scaring my child in the process. But um, no, it was. I actually found it quite an enjoyable match. In terms of it, it of, and how open it was, but obviously a bit depressing by the end. It was a little bit depressing by the end, but we will try and bring some positive energy through this as we talk about the Scotland-France game. We look at the fantastic victory for the women's team and their roads to the World Cup, and then also a little bit of URC action coming up this weekend for Edinburgh and Glasgow as ever. Um, you can follow us, if you don't know, on Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod. On Instagram, Thistle underscore rugby underscore pod. And now Matt is back from his holiday, the return of Scotland's number one rugby newsletter. You can get that on Substack at Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. That drops every Monday morning into your inbox um, with the highs and lows of the week. All good stuff. Alan, I'm going to come to you first. Let's talk about Scotland, France, um, state of the nation type stuff. You are famously a very negative man but you are also famously a very contrarian man. Your view is that Scotland weren't that bad, which sort of runs against, I guess, sort of popular opinion at the moment. 
Yeah, sort of a, a real clash of, of what I truly, truly want to be seen as, and I guess contrarian be, beats out ne- be out negativity. Um, <laughs> the, hitch- the Hitchens of rugby. <laughs> Uh, I guess you Christopher, totally... not Christopher, not Peter. <laughs> Very niche. I'd say you're, I'd say you're more like Peter than Christopher. Everyone wants to be. Everyone wants to be Christopher. I think it's time to move on. Um, <laughs> Go on. Then. I think. I think you know, off the back of the England game, I was a little bit more negative than sort of the general public. I actually, think outside of a couple of key moments, Scotland were relatively poor. Then for the Wales game, I feel like I was very much sort of in line with public opinion. And then for this match, both in terms of when I first watched it and when I sort of rewatched it, my view, whether rightly or wrong, wrongly, didn't seem to sort of line up with how bad I think a lot of both the kind of um, press and also just general sort of public discourse has been. And I think if you actually sort of chunk it up into to moments, I think sort of first 10, 15 minutes, Scotland were sort of blowing off the park. And I think they really well managed to sort of regather themselves, score that try, Obviously, we all know and all watched multiple times that very sort of key moment where Hogg dropped the ball. And, and ultimately, if they had scored that, you're going in at 17-12 up and you're going in at halftime. And I think it's a very, very different match. Unfortunately, you just had both pre-halftime, two silly penalties and what was a very soft try. And then literally one and a half minutes into the second half, you had, again... A little bit unfortunate in terms of both, I think it was a penalty and it was a lucky bounce, but also just some poor defence from Duhan. And you ultimately end up being 26-10 down. And I think the way Scotland played in that second half isn't a fair reflection of how they would have played if they were 17-12 up. And actually what we discussed with Johnny Beattie was if this Scotland team has to start chasing this French team now has the defence that they're just going to be able to sort of soak that up. And, and that's ultimately what happened in those, that, that um, sort of, I think, fifth try from France was clearly just Scotland were trying as much as they can to sort of play out their own half and they were just soaking it up and soaking it up. And Scotland weren't able to play that sort of smart type of rugby that I think if they'd gone in at 17-12 up, they would have done in the second half. So I think actually it was more a case of a lot of individual mistakes that then compounded and led them into a position where they had to play a different game to plan to what they would have done if if the game had been a slightly different situation. Matt, you didn't you received the, the 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 trouble of watching it live. You've had a chance to sort of I guess review the game after the fact, knowing the final score. Does what Alan's saying sort of tally with with your interpretation of the game? Yeah, as I said, I think reading the reaction after the game, having not watched it, um, I, you probably lean towards it being a pretty shocking performance and a, and a pretty awful day. But I think Alan's hit the nail on the head. I, just, I think that we just totally lost the key moments of the match. Um, and I think that's borne out. If you look at the stats in the game, you know we had 59% of possession, territory evenly matched, uh, more carries, more meters made, clean breaks, roughly even. We beat more defenders. Um, our tackle success could have been better. Um, and turnovers maybe and, and discipline was where we, we sort of lost out. But it, I think that points to the fact that, as Alan said, those key moments just before and after halftime kind of decided the game. Um, and I think that if, if Scotland had put in this kind of performance, um, you know, having come off the back of a Welsh win, 
I think it would feel quite different. But I do think that shipping that many points at home and being so far away from France with ultimately that last sort of minute score from from Duham putting a bit of gloss on the scoreline, it's suddenly our Six Nations is in a, a pretty um, dodgy place, I think. Yeah, and we'll, we'll come back to talk about, I guess, what the approach we think should be for the Italy game, which obviously is in sort of 10 days' time, um, fallow week, and how Tuni should approach that. But focusing back in on the weekend, Alan, you talked about those sort of critical moments. I guess this Scotland team has a handful and we've talked about it a little bit. You know, we had eight, we had eight lions. They've got a handful of what we're describing as sort of generational players. Hogg and Russell, the big two, after every game, win, lose, or draw, are the two that sort of draw either praise or criticism. Particularly Finn Russell after this game and after the Wales performance as well has come in from an awful lot of fierce criticism. A lot of people suggesting that he should be sort of stood down or dropped or whatever. I mean, what what's your take on 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 Finn? I think, and I would think, guess within that, there's an awful lot of conversations around his attitude and what impact do you think that's having? I guess within the squad. Yeah, again, I I think previously over the last sort of twelve months, I've probably been more critical of Finn than the sort of general public has been, and actually, I think. This match on Saturday, I genuinely think in attack, he performed better than he did against Wales. And actually, for maybe 55, 60 minutes of that England match, in terms of it's probably the first time in the Six Nations, in a lot of those moments, where Scotland were pulling multiple phases together. There wasn't many moments against England or Wales, apart from at the end of the England match, where we were constantly getting sort of five, six, seven phases, and Finn was sort of pulling the strings at 10. I think... A lot of it's been compounded. Obviously, the, they ended up the the nature of the the size of the loss. Obviously, his just general nature has, has shifted from people finding it adorable and funny to getting pissed off with it now. And and lastly, there's that one video that's been sort of shared a lot, which is obviously of him not in people's eyes working hard enough to track back, which. I actually think sort of a little bit unfair because ultimately you can probably pick out moments of every player in an individual moment where they're not working hard enough to either sort of track back or scramble. So again, I, I don't think I look back at the match and think that Finn is the issue there. I don't think changing Finn for anyone else in whether it's Blair Kinghorn or Hastings improves that performance of anything. I think it's actually just slightly detrimental. Interesting. Just want to pick up on. Do you think that's the first time Finn's been described as adorable? Certainly on a rugby <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I think I think pe- people would describe Finn like cheeky chappy. It's kind of like yeah. what my I think my mum would describe him as adorable. As adorable, because yeah. actually I think there's I think there's more than a cigarette paper between cheeky chappy and adorable. <laughs> I think you've got, I think you've got to take a bit of a leap. <laughs> Okay, let's yeah, let's um but, but I but I let's let's go back to back to the rugby but that that did stick out for me. But Matt, I suppose Finn was subbed at 50 minutes. Huge amounts of discussion already around this squad, the fact that Adam Hastings is not involved. There's, you know, not that sort of specialist 10 on the bench with Blair Kinghorn. Do you think that's been shown up to be a little bit flawed in in Tooney's sort of planning for the tournament? 
look, Blair, Blair Kinghorn very well may, may be a great 10 in five years' time, but I don't really feel like a Six Nations against any opposition, bar maybe Italy, is the time to be trying out that experiment. Um, and, and look, if I, I don't think if Hastings had come on at the same time as Kinghorn, the game was already lost pretty much. So I don't think it would have made any difference. But it, it does seem as if Kinghorn's... He's just not 100% comfortable at standoff. And he's clearly been told to go out and play with a lot of um, freedom and expression. And you'd like to hope at least that those sort of long, loopy mispasses are part of the game plan. But it does seem a bit all over the shop, really. And I felt at some points he was just very loose in his play. Um, and, you know, his his positive contribution for the Duhan try with stuff that he can be doing from fullback or mm. or on the wing. So I don't quite understand it. Um, and I think, you know, maybe in that kind of game where, you know, I, as Alan said, I actually don't think Finn was having that bad a game, but it does feel as if having Hastings on the bench just gives you a, a, a lot more options in that regard. Um, I think on the, on the work point, work rate point as well, I think it was just an unfortunate, isolated incident because if you look at Finn's work rate in general, getting around the corner, setting stuff up, always talking, and he's also often the guy in the backfield mopping up a lot of those kicks, and that requires some some heavy lungs. So I I, I don't I don't think his attitude is is in in question. I guess I'm guess I, I I'm worried a little bit that maybe we're looking at. The- at his performance through rose rose tinted glasses, but Dave, I don't know whether you feel any differently to me and Matt in regards to Finn. No, I mean I think I kind of I'm with you. He looked when we had ball in hand. I thought when he was passing the ball, it looked good. I, I, I didn't really understand it when we took him off at 50 minutes, particularly for someone like Kinghorn. You think we've got to chase the game? You know, there is probably no other ten that you'd want maybe a handful of other tens in the world, in world rugby that any nation, if they think, right, you're, you know, 15 points down with 20 minutes to go, who do you want, you know, calling the shots other than Finn Russell? You know, mm-hmm. I, I think it's, I think it's really interesting that Tooney went that way. I, I don't know if it speaks to a frustrate, a deeper frustration within Tooney that he's not getting what he thinks he needs to out of Finn and he needed, he felt he needed to roll the dice there. But I don't know. I, I, I do, I do agree with you. And I think, I think it was a much better performance from Finn than it was in Cardiff. But it, it's a compounding effect, really, isn't it, on this Scotland team that the poor performance in Cardiff with then a bad result, but perhaps a better performance against France, it just sort of all adds up in the sort of the negative column. Yeah, 100%. And I'm not sure if us taking a photo with Finn on the train, sort of having cans on the way back from Wales, contributes to that negative feeling, but it was very. <laughs> It was very good fun. So I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> was um, and I think the other point is, you know, France were really, really sweet. So and it did feel like they were able when they needed to. To to Matt's point earlier, they were able yeah. to to get points. So you know, they clearly that first fifty minutes they were sort of on the accelerator, and then they clearly just seemed to sort of sit back a little bit. And then to your point, when they had two chances either side of half time, they were just so clinical in getting points on the board and getting out 14, 16 points out in front of 
of Scotland. And, and they were class and they're individuals, which I think this theme of which this section, which we're talking about is those sort of world-class individuals. You talk about that run that Anton Dupont made in for their first try. Yes, Scotland should absolutely have been making those first up tackles, but you know, that's a world-class operator at the very, very top of his game, carving open and creating chances. You then look at Hoggy and that opportunity. Now, yes, difficult catch, but if you are, you know, considering yourselves in the conversation for sort of what top five fullbacks in the world, should you be taking that in these big high pressure moments that sort of define games? Yeah. And I think France's players do. I think the top 500 fullbacks in the world should be taking that. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But if Hogg's in the discussion for the top five, so, you know, the other four, nine, five are less consequential, I would say. That's fair. What do, what do we think about, I know we're so, I'm sorry, Leon, but what do we think about that moment, the, the hog drop and the Harris has passed? Hannay, I've seen you butcher many four-on-ones in your life. <laughs> what, what would you have done in that situation? Absolutely not. Would have drawn, drawn the man, given the easy pass. Um, and I think they had, Harris had Price and Hogg outside him. I, I don't think I'd bring, Schumann was too fair to him, rumbling around. Fair play to Schumann keeping up, I know, to be honest. I know, but I'd probably miss him at least. Um, the thing is, if, if Harris's pass had just been a little bit better, then I don't think it would have put Hogg in the clear because I don't think it was the right option. But he's You think still... Intermac gets him in the corner? I think Intermac forces him into making a decision. Whereas I, in terms of he would either have to go for it or he could pass it back inside. So I think that if, if Hogg catches that ball, whether it's him that scores it or Price, that Scotland is scoring a try. So I even think that although Harris's decision probably wasn't the optimal one, they still should have made it work. Yeah, that's the way I see it. I think like two things can be true at once. You know, like he should have done the short pass to... Price and Price should have drawn and then passed, but also Hogg should have probably taken that catch. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I think Harris probably both in terms of option and timing got it wrong. I think he probably needed to take it forward as sort of another really commit Intermac because Intermac was sort of just slightly holding off. And I think if you sort of commit another sort of five meters and then short pass Price, feels like that's. Yeah, that's pretty much... Um, that's your high will... percentage option, isn't it? But then ultimately, Harris isn't a particularly strong... attack. I don't think he's a natural attacking player, right? Like, he's not there for um, those sort of moments. And no. it's, um, you know, ultimately, that is an area where he can be slightly weak, right? But I guess, taking, sticking on Hoggy for a second, I think it is worth discussing, I guess, where, where are we with Stuart Hogg? I think... He has been like a generational player for Scotland, you know, top try scorer. He's done amazing things, absolutely. But if you take, you know, the guddle over the line versus Ireland, the the sort of the the guddle against England, granted that the conditions were terrible, but that under the post knock-on in the Six Nations a couple of years ago, plus this one, does he have an issue with sort of making you know big errors at critical moments of games that has been sort of it sort of almost, it doesn't take away from his legacy, but it kind of takes the shine off his claim to be like the sort of, you know, top 1% world rugby player, Matt. Yeah, I, mean, I there was that video doing the rounds of 
Rob Carney and Shane Horgan sort of sticking the boot into him, which seems to be kind of the favourite pastime of ex-Irish rugby players at the moment, um, which I find I, I find increasingly grating, actually. Yeah. I mean, look, it, you can't you can't deny that he's made those mistakes in those situations, and I think that he had a pretty poor Lions series, um, particularly under the high ball. But then, I, I don't know, I think that the good far outweighs the bad. I think that if you look back onto all of the big Scotland victories, you know, since he's been playing pretty much, he's yeah. played a big a big role in those. Um, I think you get far more good than bad. I think that when he is such a talismanic figure and it does seem as if a lot of the time people are looking to him and Finn to do something that you have to take a lot of responsibility on and you maybe do force things, but it's because you're such a high quality player and because you don't have similar guys around you. So I, I saw some people saying that Hogg shouldn't have been calling for the pass from Harris. And I, I don't even think he was. I think he was just indicating I'm in loads of space. It's on, it's on, rather than wanting the mispass. Um, uh, yeah, because he puts his hand up quite clearly, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, but I, th- I think he's just indicating, like, you know, get the ball to me somehow. Not, but not necessarily. You have to miss pass to me. Um, so I, I think a lot of the criticism is is actually pretty out of line. All right. Um, well, let's let's park that sort of stuff. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about the merits of Hogg and Russell and whether they their roles playing particularly in Italy in the next couple of weeks in the next sort of section of the pod. But let's focus on the absolute standout positive from the game and I think there was a couple of others I think we should talk about Mark Bennett's contribution in a little bit but Rory Darge Alan you know we've been sort of waxing lyrical about him particularly since he moved to Glasgow from Edinburgh I mean what an impactful debut um, from him yeah I I was a little bit worried for him pre-match just because I think in those La Rochelle games for Glasgow after being so good in the Pro 14 and even against Exeter, he was a little bit anonymous in those two matches or sort of struggled with that physicality. And then even at the start of the match, I mean, DuPont did go round him for that first French try. He, he was sort of caught out a little bit. And then, yeah, I think, I think from, I, I can't, and this isn't just Scotland, this goes across basically all countries. I can't think of a better sort of starting, uh, starting debut for, a forward in my in my sort of lifetime. I think to get three turnovers and a try against that quality of a pack and a French team is yeah, it's pretty incredible. And I think it, it basically is that, makes, is, makes is this, Sorry, have we moved too far on from Daryl Marfa that you forget about that versus um, his performance versus um, Samoa on debut? I would say that is true. You've you've <laughs> caught me out. It's. <laughs> Probably the that most was, culturally important Scottish debut in the last five years. That was the most iconic yeah, debut of all time. But I'd yes, Darge Dar- running a close second, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's. I mean, I, I, I do kind of think it makes him a little bit undroppable. Now, I just don't don't see how you can't take him forward into the, the Italy and then the Ireland match now. Yeah, it's almost like, I think if it was Ireland up next, there would maybe be a sort of sterner debate. Um, it's quite exciting to think that like Hamish Watson's still there to come back and what a performance like that from a young guy like Dorge will do for a slightly older, 
you know, more experienced seven like Hamish Watson in terms of spurring him on. Matt, would you would you keep him in that sort of in that back row, and would you have him at the expense of of Watson with the seven on his back, or do you find space for him elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, with everyone fit again, including Jamie Ritchie and, and Matt Fagerson, like that is a really Darge made it really difficult for for Townsend and the other selectors, um, because I, I I'd say that you know that performance he put in has been better than anything we've seen from Hamish Watson in the last six nine months maybe on the back of the Lions tour. Um, I suppose with someone like Darge, you I, mean, I, I fully expect him to start against Italy. Um, you could, but you could bring him off the bench. Um, I think he's quite a nice bench option to have. I, I appreciate that he um, you know, only really covers seven, but imagine him coming on when the game's breaking up a bit or you need a few big turnovers or a few big hits. Like it's it's quite a nice option to have, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was, he was just watching it again. Like he's just absolutely unbelievable. Like his, it, it just felt as if he, he was the one that was really taking the game to the French pack in the forwards. Um, I suppose it's just slightly disappointing that you know it took the youngest guy in the in the the most inexperienced guy in the team to to be the one who was leading from the front in that regard. Yeah, absolutely incredible. I mean, we, we've started to touch on it so um, a little bit with that sort of selection debate in the back row. Alan, I'll come to you first. Italy in Rome um, is sort of ten days time really, really important that Scotland go down there and not just win, but win, I think, with, you know, a little bit to spare and sort of show that the last couple of weeks have been have been poor, but they're aside on still on the ascendancy. Tooney will be sort of possibly under a little bit of pressure to roll the dice or to blood some younger players. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Expecting a result. What, what would you do handed the reins um, for that game? I think in the forwards, just thinking about who's who's available, I I would the only change I would potentially make is I think I'd probably bring Christian for Haining and try and give a little bit of a run out. I think Bradbury good to get him more game time. Darge keep him going, and then it'd be nice to see Christie in that sort of environment from the start. Yeah, Haining didn't sort of turn in one of his like world class thirty minutes against France, did he? Will you save that for Ireland? Yes. You do. That's his favorite. That's his preferred fixture of the <laughs> yeah. year. Away in Dublin. I, I, I actually didn't think he was. He wasn't great, but I actually didn't think he was too bad. Do you know what? He, like, my, ma- put, my main put in a lot of effort and. No, no. I was just going to say my ma- my main anger was the fact that he used to be a winger and Fiku ran around him. <laughs> oh, yeah, so slow. But he was used to be a winger. He was a winger in 2013. That's not that long ago. It looked like he didn't. I mean, he doesn't. I'm surprised to think of him as a sprinter. Like he, he's not very graceful, is he? 
I think we all, well, I think we've all been through a journey sort of physically since 2013 now. And I, I think you can, you can go from being a winger to being a back row quite quickly if you, if you apply yourself. You're trying to insinuate that you are wherever a graceful runner, Dave. Absolutely not. <laughs> well, you, you had a, a very, a, a sort of an, from Edinburgh under 18 centre to sort of St. Andrew's three back row. That was pretty decent in a couple of years. I remember there was one sort of a sprint test of sort of like a 10 metre, a 20 metre and a 30 metre. And I think by the time we got to the 30 metres, I was around about midway. But I think for the 10 metre sprint, I came sort of second last out of 50 or something. It's a very slow acceleration. Can't, you can just chug away. Just sort of, yeah, it takes me about 30 meters to get to top speed, but that first 10 meters is just a real slow build. Um, no, it's. Uh, but Andy not, Christie, instead of um, Andy Christie coming in at six? Yeah, I think, I don't think he had a particularly great game when he, um, when he I don't think he was really able to, to do too much, but mm. I think it'd be interesting to see how he can sort of operate uh, against Italy. And feels like a good game without really changing the dynamic of the, the the pack too much. The only issue being what we do at line out. But ultimately, it feels like when we go into that Ireland match, if Watson's coming back in, you're probably going to stay with a Watson Dodge six seven. So so ultimately, we need to, it'd be nice to have that Italy game as an opportunity to kind of test, do more with Dodge as that sort of fourth line out jumper. Is is Matt Fagerson due to come back at any point? I feel like I read that somewhere, maybe. I don't think he's... He's certainly not been officially ruled out for the rest of the tournament in a way that Richie and Sutherland were. Mm. So, so they I must, w- be, they must could, be monitoring him. I wonder if you could, um, you know, play him at six, maybe. Um, or kind of just move things around slightly so that you do have that line-out option. Yeah, I guess it's, it just feels like against that Ar- Irish pack and that, especially that Irish back row, that having Watson and Dart, it just feels like having Bradbury and Ferguson both in the team just limits sort of yeah. your, speed, your speed around the pitch and your ability to kind of get to the breakdown quickly and really challenge at the breakdown, whereas Dart and Watson just gives you just that little bit more. But I appreciate it sort of, it takes away in both kind of bulk and in your options at line out. What about else? What about elsewhere on ar- around the pack? Um, I mean, Jamie Hodgson getting some time at, at the weekend would be interested in seeing him getting more minutes, possibly a start against Italy, and then another one that has been sort of. I think it was Rob Robertson in this comment in the mail was saying that we should this should be an opportunity for Ben White to be given a start at nine ahead of um, Ali Price. Matt, what else do you think we might see sort of change for the Italy game? Yeah, I mean, I can see the merits of that argument. I I don't know if he'll make that many changes in general, though. I know that Italy are are pretty dog at the moment, but I still think that you know Scotland will be the game that they always target. And with us coming off the back of two losses, a bit of soul searching, quite a few injuries, it is still a bit of a banana skin, I think. Um, so, do you really want to change someone like Price who? I thought I had a reasonable game at the weekend, but is one of your senior players now. Um, I, I just, I don't know if you really gain that much. I, I'd love to see some sort of mix up in, in the midfield. Um, Cause I just, I don't think that Tupelo two and Harris 
is is effective enough in attack. We'll um, start for Mark Bennett after a very effective um, yeah half I mean, hour off the bench. I mean, quite quite possibly, it looked very good, um, and maybe he'd just be able to, you know, create a few more chances. And I I still think I think I've said it a lot of times before, but our inability to bring Duhan into the game is absolutely criminal. Yeah, and his his involvements are really from like picking up loose balls and he's always making yards um and i kind of felt as if quite a lot of the attack in the game stopped at two pelotu um and while he's a good carrier he's not a, an absolute unit and he, he wasn't able to break down that french defense so the thing is i don't think we really have that many options at 12 at the moment obviously with with red path out but i i just like to see a little bit more inventiveness in the in the midfield um but apart from that, I, I don't really know who else you would you'd really want to mix up. You're not you're not part of the Ben Russell at ten crowd. Well, I mean, unless Townsend called up Hastings, that means that we're going to have to go with Blair Kinghorn. Yeah, and I don't we, I don't really want to spend. I don't really want to see Blair Kinghorn just doing misspasses for eighty minutes. <laughs> we did go That's with Hog did. last year, though. We did go with Hog last year. That was at home, though, wasn't it? Is it that big a difference, really? I think Kinghorn's got to be a better the, option than Hawk. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, it's it's a bit of a turns his bat himself into a corner that if he does sort of read fit in the right act, he'll have to play Kinghorn. <laughs> I, I think, I think Finn will just walk out again. Like Kinghorn and at the Stadio Olimpico, away from home, with a full stadium, like. I think that's a bit of a recipe for disaster. Could be the making of the man. It could be, but I could also see him I'm doing like sure. a Phil Goldman mispass. Um, I'm not sure I'm ready for another like nip tuck sort of Scotland Italy no. game. It's been quite nice for the last few years that we've been quite comfortable. I'm not sure I'm ready to go back to the dark days. Agreed, but I'm worried it could be. I mean, as you said, Italy. They've got a relatively young team and they've got a few players, at least quite a lot of players with Benetton at least, who have had some success over Scottish club teams over the last sort of 12 to 18 months. And you're right, they're at home. They probably see this as a really big opportunity off the back of Scotland losing to, to Wales and, and France. They do, struggle so a bit to score, they do struggle a bit to score points and our defence is, or used to be, famously good. <laughs> They struggle to play rugby. They're so bad at the rugby. Matt, this is the sort of thing that gets clipped by people that follow us on Twitter and they remind us of it. <laughs> I know. So no one's made the supercut of our, our arrogant chat ahead of the Wales match yet. Yeah, with um, the, 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 the uh, Ghanaian pallbearers. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so well, I, we will be back next week. Well, I say we, I won't be, but Alan and Matt, joined by a special guest, um, will be previewing the Italy game um, next week, um, which is very, very exciting. But want to move us on a little bit to talk about something, some other super positive news for, for Scottish rugby, the women winning their World Cup um, playoff, um, absolutely smashing the Colombian Toucans, 59 points to three. They're off to the World Cup in New Zealand um, later in the year. Alan, I mean, 
not the sternest of tests. I guess you could probably say that the biggest game they've won was against Ireland um, in the in the death a few, a few weeks, uh, a few months ago. But you know, massively encouraging to see the women's team getting to the getting to the World Cup. Yeah, I think you know ultimately that was the big qualification match, and I think yeah. even though they they didn't say it publicly, I imagine most of that team was very confident that they were going to beat Colombia. And I think from watching some of the match, I think if they hadn't beaten Colombia, <laughs> then they they definitely didn't deserve to go to sort of the, the World Cup. But look, ultimately, they did it did it with quite a lot of ease. And yeah, at least they've got now like quite a nice sort of six-month run-up to, to that World Cup. So I think it's sort of mid-October where it looked, they've probably got the most experienced team they've had in sort of the period that I guess we've yeah. we've probably only really been following sort of the women's team keeping across for the last sort of four or five years. And it feels like a lot of the players are in the team now were there when we started looking at it sort of four or five years ago. Yeah, it's been it it does seem that they've got a very sort of st- uh, a stable of of regulars that are clocking up sort of 20, 30 plus caps. Matt obviously we'll be following this in, as we get to the, the closer to the to the the World Cup itself, but what do you think that the women can expect sort of going down to that to that tournament in ter- results wise i mean the their reward for beating the the Tukins is a pretty savage group that <laughs> includes new zealand and i think australia as well right um yeah it's australia, so, new zealand australia and wales i think is my yeah so uh, but you know i think they should definitely be targeting that Wales win for a victory um, I, I'd imagine New Zealand and Australia are, are maybe going to be a bit of a step too far but I think that the gap's closing now between those I think the particularly New Zealand I think England are stretching out a lot further so maybe it's a chance to show how you know that, that experience in the women's squad and how much better they've, they've become um, and how much more professional the setup is I suppose yeah, it's absolutely fantastic, and we will be following that all the way, all the way through. Hopefully, get a chance to speak to some of the some of the team as we get there. I guess interestingly, it was fourteen of the fifteen that started um, play outside of Scotland. I think it was about twelve or thirteen. Twelve or thirteen play in the English Prem. I think there's one or two in the in the French league, and then I right. think there was one second row who I can't remember who who played for. But I guess you know. Like, absolutely the right thing to do right you you want you want them playing at sort of the highest club level but obviously it does feel a little bit sad that uh the vast majority of that team are sort of applying their trade outside of scotland but probably a deeper question yeah i think it was eight of the starting 15 or 23 are at loughborough alone yeah it's uh because it, it feels like I don't know. It'd be interesting to understand what they're going to do for the sort of next, because it, it's obviously nice having that six month gap, but it'd be interesting to see what the SOU try and do for that, whether they, how, what sort of money they try and pump in or what sort of system they try and sort of bring, bring in place to try and make sure that they're as prepared as possible for, for that event. Because I think you're right. I think Wales, they got a target, but ultimately Australia from the results that I've seen, I've, no, I haven't really watched too much of it, but they are, you know, losing to New Zealand's and France's by sort of that 30, 40, 50 points. And it does feel like England, New Zealand and France 
are just that gulf ahead and Scotland should be challenging both Wales and Australia for that that second place team. And, you know, whether what sort of preparations the SOU can sort of give them over the next six months, you know, I think they should be trying to challenge for that for that second place. Mm. Absolutely. And hopefully the SRU will be throwing the kitchen sink at the at the squad to get them as prepared um, as possible. And as I say, we'll be keeping very close tabs on that, hopefully getting a chance to speak to some of the some of the squad um, as they prep for that later in the year. Um, finish up a little bit of domestic action, a little bit that URC that everybody's been missing. Edinburgh welcoming Connor at home on Friday night and it's the thing that we've all been waiting for the return of Chris the sweet Prince Dean back to that Edinburgh starting lineup Matt Edinburgh been in a little bit of a funk lost the last three I think and they've sort of dropped from that dominant sort of second and first position that they were in to now sort of down in fifth still sort of strong for the playoffs and things like that but Got to say that Edinburgh have got me targeting this as a, as a sort of a must win to sort of arrest the arrest the tide. Yeah, definitely. Um, Connacht at home with sort of the internationals away, I think is is a is a big one that we're targeting. Um, and I think that although Edinburgh are showing a lot of the internationals, Kinghorn's been released. Uh, is playing. I uh, got Moyano, Immelman, um, Kunabula, uh, David Cherry, Bowen Bento. Like I think you'd like to think there's enough quality and experience in there to, to do a job. Um, and it's, it's been quite good to see at Edinburgh in recent uh, months that Blair's been giving quite a few of the kids a shot. So uh, Angus Williams has signed a, a new deal, Connor Ball signed a new deal, and then there's two uh, academy guys uh, on the bench. Um, I think there's like Jamie Campbell and Rudy Brown, I think. Great um, name. Yeah, it's quite good, isn't it? Uh, who I hadn't even, I, I, I didn't even know we're sort of training with Edinburgh at the moment. So quite a good chance to see some of these these young guys in in action. Um, and and I think they, sh- they should have enough to get the win. Yeah, I'm a bit worried just because ultimately Connacht <laughs> don't get impacted that hard by the internationals. Yeah. And, and that yeah. Edinburgh pack specifically... <laughs> Is is lacking quite a lot of experience. I, I I'm I'm not proud, but I had to look up who Pierce Phillips was. I big Pierce I, Phillips, big yeah, the big man. Yeah, the the big man. When I saw his name, I was like, "Ooh, P. Phillips." I, I'm not entirely sure who that is. <laughs> but then, of course, I learned that he joined the club from top 14 side Agen ahead of the 2021-22 season. So there you go. Oh, that Pierce Phillips. Oh, that yeah, Pier- yeah. Do you not? Oh, do you not remember the stuff he was doing at Agen, or when he was in the Yorkshire Carnegie Academy before joining the Jersey Reds in 2014? <laughs> Jesus, come on, guys, do your homework. But Alan, you're nervous. Yeah, I am a little bit. I'm, I'm just when you there's a lot of it's sort of a mix of what I would say is sort of journeymen in that Edinburgh pack, and then quite a few sort of night exciting sort of young talent. Yeah, and. I'm just a little bit worried that we're going to lose that up front battle. And again, saying this again, interesting to see Kinghorn at 10. I think Kinghorn has looked really good when that Edinburgh pack has been dominating and yeah. winning the collisions. But if we get into a bit of an arm wrestle against this Connick team, I'm a bit worried about what we're going to be able to achieve 
with sort of Pergos, Kinghorn axes. It's one of those ones that I look at and I'm like, Moncaster Boyle at six and seven, you know, like if they're sort of reaching the levels that you expect them to as these exciting young players, it could be a great opportunity for them to like dominate. But then again, it might just be that they're not quite there on their development. And you yeah. know, some some gnarled Galway men are just going to sort of like dominate. You just don't, you can't quite get a handle on how that's going to go. I think that'll be fun. Yeah, we, 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 you should be fine. I think, I, think, I think they'll win. I think if we, I think if we know anything about Scottish rugby, it's, it's usually fine. They've got Jack Harty back in at ten, which um, obviously. Yeah, we've got Blair Kinghorn. Apologies. Fresh, yeah. fresh off a of Six Nations assist. That is true. That was a nice that long arcing run. Was really nice. Yeah. And, and I do quite yeah. like the sort of you know over the top pass. Probably a little bit forward, but it so, was ar- nice. oh, it's so definitely, arrogant. It's definitely forward. Yeah. <laughs> do you think he's doing that with like TikTok in mind? Do you think like Rock Nation have been like, look, if you do get a two on one, like think about doing something ridiculous because it'll be really good for numbers. We uh, we we chat about the Rock Nation output. Yeah. I think we I think we need to talk about that <laughs> specific video. <laughs> uh, how do you describe it to people that might not have seen it? I mean, go on our go on our Instagram and or the URC's Instagram. It's a video of I think it's a Connor Hooker about to throw the ball in. Yeah. And it's like POV, you're about to throw the ball into a line out and then the, the, the camera changes and there's like Shrek in like a leather jacket dancing on top of the stadium. <laughs> like what the hell? Hey, that's what that's what the kids want. That's why we've given a stake. Do you think Jay Z like, Do you think Jay Z just like walked into the office and he was like, guys, I've got an idea? And they because he's the boss, they couldn't say no. So it's had to it's like had to go through approvals. That's what I think might have happened. <laughs> there's there's a whole host of sort of quite weird Instagram. I so what I need to do, I haven't checked out the, the URC TikTok. That's I'm gonna, I'm gonna check do a bit of research in advance of the um maybe that's where that, that stuff plays. Maybe on TikTok that's blowing up. Yeah. So when are we uh, when are we releasing the TikTok that you made about Scottish rugby? Never because we, we we operate within a trust circle, and that got was that for, video, got that video saved by a, the the Umerta. That was for your eyes only. That's, uh, it was just for us. The tick the the private TikTok account can never come out. Well, look if the fans want it, the fans hear this, listeners want it, then you know we're here to we serve at their pleasure. You're talking about the we, dance one or the penguin one? Which one are we going with? Um, well. <laughs> The penguin one was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> but at least, at least the dancing one was to do with Scottish rugby. So maybe we'll just go with that one. <laughs> Delirious stuff. Um, so that's Edinburgh playing Friday night. Um, they're also donating one pound for every um, seat sold at the Dam Health Stadium to causes in support of the Ukraine. Of Ukraine. So um, if you can get down there, do so. Um, it's never sold out the damn health stadium before. So a very good opportunity to get down there for some Friday night rugby um, and show your support for Edinburgh, but also that great cause as well. Um, and then Glasgow up against the Scarlets going away from home on Saturday. Glasgow sort of like fairly quietly climbing up the URC, climbing up the URC table. I think they are sitting in third, just one point behind Ulster. Um, and four behind um, Leinster. I mean, Alan, 
what what we obviously haven't seen the squad quite yet. We're talking on Thursday evening. It'll be announced around tomorrow lunchtime. But Glasgow down to, going down to the Scarlets. What do you think of that one? Yeah, I think they've they've got a relatively good chance. I think one thing that's sort of become apparent over the last month is that potentially Glasgow have a little bit of a better squad for for managing the yeah. the international period. They've obviously you know someone like. Dempsey, Tom Gordon, even like you sort of Ryan Wilson, Richie Gray, there's just like a lot of experience in that pack. And you know, someone like again, Ross Thompson just operating at ten with Dunkey Ware off the bench. It's there is enough there that during that sort of fallow period with sort of a few of the big names missing to get you through and get those wins. And actually that win against Munster is actually retrospectively pretty pretty impressive performance. So so no, I think um, I think Glasgow will be all right, and actually I think they should potentially be aiming to get bonus point win away at Scarlets. Scarlets sort of like artificially quite low down in the URC table. They've only played eight games, whereas Glasgow have played eleven, um, but they've only won three of those eight. Welsh regions sort of like yeah. subject to an awful lot of conversation about their issues at the moment. But Matt, would you be backing the Glasgow lads to go down there and get something? Yeah, maybe not a bonus point win because I think that's you know pretty difficult on the road wherever you are. Um, but yeah, I agree with that one. I think it seems as if Glasgow. I think that the, over the last five games, they've picked up twenty four points. I think I was reading, which makes them the form team in the league. Um, and yeah, as, as Alan said, they seem to have a bit more strength and depth in these international windows. So you'd, you'd like to think that they should be aiming for the win there. I'm just looking at the URC table and Scarlet's, Scarlet's haven't won for two months and they've, they've not played a game. They've only played one game in the last five weeks. So missing a lot of players, not had a lot of game time, not had a lot of success. I think Glasgow bony point win on a Saturday night is uh, is on. Down is that Alan sure, Alan sure thing? Getting, getting, I don't know, getting some money I've, done on that. I've lost a lot of money recently, so <laughs> I, I don't I don't think anyone really just pillaging Freya's trust fund. Um, poor girl, poor girl. <laughs> turns eighteen, she's like in debt already. <laughs> um, so no, but uh, I think much much higher I think there's a higher chance that Glasgow get a bonus point against Scarlets away than there is of Edinburgh get a bonus point at home against Connacht. There you go, heard it here first. Um as I say, um Matt and Alan will be back next week with a super special guest to preview the Italy game. Um and uh Matt will be pulling together Matt will you be pulling together a newsletter for Monday, do you reckon? I reckon so. Yeah you reckon so <laughs> I mean what a preview that is. Um but so get yourself onto <laughs> Substack um and get yourself subscribed onto that and follow us on all the usual places twitter thistle rugby pod um instagram thistle understroke rugby understroke pod and you of course can we got a couple of emails this week um which we'll return to in the next couple of weeks on uh, the, the mailbag that's the thistle rugby at gmail.com but until then we'll speak to you all very soon have a good one cheers see ya Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free 
or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in-person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 